So welcome back once again to the Coffee and Heroes podcast where we are once again tackling our comics reviews and playing catch-up. So first of all, uh, just to introduce, my, my name's Alan, I own Coffee and Heroes in Smithfield Market, what I like to think is the best comic book store in Northern Ireland. A few people have told me as well. But uh, we're going to be going through our reviews, catching up. There's myself and of course I'm joined by Keith. Good evening, how are you sir? I am not bad, it's been uh, a busy day. And so it's nice to be uh, sitting here with the uh, proprietor of the best comic store in Northern Ireland, uh, <laughs> talking about those self-same comics. See, I told you other people had told me this. It wasn't just me saying this to myself in the mirror. So it's uh, it's always <laughs> good to hear. But yeah, we're, we're essentially playing catch up, you know, reviews wise. We've spoke about it before. We're completionists. We want to see out the whole of 2021. There are a lot of great titles that certainly deserved attention. You know, we, we did record just prior to this uh, a few days ago, a really good interview with Ran Parrott, who's got some great titles coming out soon. So definitely go back and give that a listen. But we're going to be focusing on reviews this one and not much else. It's going to be the 24th of November. We're kicking things off from. We're going to follow our traditional format. So take you through what our pull list totals were, go through some honorable mentions or quick picks. The spoilers in those are, are relatively light. There might be the odd one here and there. And then we'll have a pick of the week from that week. And that will be pr pretty spoiler heavy as well. So, again, it, it was interesting to go back to some of these reviews and actually remind yourself of some great stuff. Because I think sometimes when we leave it a little bit, you actually forget how good some issues were. And then you start reviewing it and rereading and flicking through it and going, that really did make an impression on me. So, yeah, some, some good stuff I'm looking forward to chatting about here. For sure. No, absolutely. It, uh, we are taking a taking a little trip in the in the uh, slightly way back machine uh, but uh, yeah I mean it's some of them are a wee bit more memorable to me because I'm a little behind on my reading uh, over the past week I've managed to go from four weeks behind to being two weeks behind I think and of course tomorrow is new comic book day so that'll only make things easier uh, <laughs> keep adding to so. that pile but if you'll join us in to a simpler time, which was the 24th of November, 2021. So we're going to kick things off there. Uh, so titles released this week. In terms of my pull list, I had 24 titles in total. Uh, that was split between seven DC titles, five Marvel titles, and making up a, a complete half of all my issues this week were indie. I had 12 indie titles in total. How about yourself? I had 19 totals, so coming in five uh, below you, uh, I'm going to flip your uh, your DC and your Marvel numbers. I had five DC and seven Marvel, uh, and I had seven indie books, so as usual, a, a fairly sizable chunk of the, the reading list. So that is uh, you know, quite a, a nice even split for you there almost. I mean, mine, as I say, is very indie heavy when you have as, as many indie books mm -hmm. as you do Marvel and DC combined. You know, you're reading a lot of indie. So, of course, when we jump into mm -hmm. honorable mentions, I'm going to kick things off with DC despite all those indie titles. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the first one that gets an honorable mention from me is a series I'm really enjoying. It's uh, it's called Task Force Z. Uh, on this day, number two was released. This is written by the powerhouse creative team of Matthew Rosenberg and James Tinney IV, and art in this is Eddie Barrows. And for Task Force Z, the series concept is absolutely nuts, but it works really, really well. You know, Red Hood has been tasked Oh God, excuse that terrible pun, with essentially leading a new Suicide Squad. But the twist here is that they're using dead supervillains, but bringing them back to life without their consent. So they're essentially being reanimated to atone for their sins after death. So, of course, given his past with the Joker and being back, brought back from the dead as well, Jason Todd is, of course, a clear candidate to lead the team. So the reason I really like this, there's a lot of really interest. Like, this sounds like sort of a... 
a kind of movie you would see on a late Friday night on Channel 5. The concept is really silly. But what's cool about it is there's so many interesting story threads that, that can follow. You know, because if the bad guy's done the job, they can just be brought back to life. They they cannot resist when they have been brought back to life, so are the very definition of expendable. But, of course, useful to carry out dirty deeds in the name of the greater good, of course. With with regards to the team, you know, assembled here, you've got Bane, who, of course, died in the A-Day attacks. You've got Arkham Knight, Man Bat, and Sundowner. And also in this team is, uh, I don't know if you'll remember this villain or not, a villain called Bloom, who was in Scott Snyder's New 52 run. And Bloom is not actually hmm. dead. He's just along for the kicks. He just finds it hilarious, uh, as if that's not creepy at all. So, uh, yeah, issue two, we follow the team as they search for a new undead member to join the team. They storm a, a Cobra cult meeting, and chaos and violence, of course, ensue. What, what's cool as well is Red Hood, he initially doesn't respect any of his teammates, but he's definitely changing his tune as the mission continues. You know, he starts to, to humanize them, which is hilarious, given that, you know, they're dead and all. But that undead member they're looking for... Well, that might just link back to Tom Tiller's Suicide Squad run. Again, actually linking everything together, which I think DC are doing more and more of ever since Infinite Frontier, which is which is great. So yeah, fantastic stuff all around. Great art from Eddie Barrows, you know, who's who's a really, you know, tried and trusted hand there as well. And the rest of the team as well. It it makes it a title I think not to miss. So I don't think this is one that one that you're on at all. No, I uh just have had to make some choices uh, recently with regard to uh, you know what I'm spending my money on. I'm not, I mean, if it's not like my pull list has decreased in any way, shape, or form. It's just that it keeps increasing. <laughs> so I'm trying to be a wee bit more, uh, you know. And uh, Suicide Squad, I enjoyed Tom Taylor's run on, you know. And I'm not. I just uh, a zombie Suicide Squad just wasn't wasn't uh, wasn't for me. Oh, it's all right. I'll talk uh, you into it over time. Don't you worry. Then I will throw my issues your way. <laughs> Could be a trade. I will throw my issues your way. So, yeah, that was my Perfect. first honorable mention. So, how about yourself? I had Task Force Z number two. What have you got for us? Uh, I'm dipping into the Marvel pool with uh, Black Panther number one. It's a new number one from John C. Ridley, a uh, well-known screenwriter of 12 Years a Slave and currently doing great work with DC's I Am Batman ongoing. Uh, Ridley teams with Juan Cabal to switch gears on Black Panther from the interstellar adventure that uh, he was undertaking in his uh, in his previous run to more of a globe-trotting espionage and political intrigue um from the start of the book we're shown t'challa's many roles and responsibilities he's the king of uh, wakanda as we all know but in this reality in our in, in, in the 616 marvel universe wakanda is undergoing a switch from monarchy to democracy uh which is creating a, a certain tension for, for, for T'Challa. He's also the chairperson of the Avenger. He's friend to, uh, in particular, Steve Rogers and, and, and uh, a number of other uh, characters who are newly introduced as um, embedded secret agents of Wakanda. And he's a brother, obviously, to Shuri. So key to the story, I think, will be all of these tensions created with T'Challa's conflicting priorities and the secrets that he's been keeping, um, in particular, the existence of these embedded Wakandan secret agents uh, and how those secrets will affect his his relationships. Brilliant, brilliantly balanced story and brilliantly paced story. It's laid out in a dynamic, accessible fashion. You know, the panels are, 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 are really well used and it's 
it's definitely not light in action or the kind of technology that we've come to expect from Wakanda as a result of, of probably mostly the Black Panther movie. Yeah, I mean, with Black Panther, it's it, it got delayed a few times and it seemed to, you know, maybe suffer a little bit from a staggered release. We we have a good chunk of people, though, on it in store. They were they were confident waiting for it. John Ridley, of course, you know, is, I think people are starting to trust that name. Juan Cabal as well. I mean, I just remember his Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man run with, uh, with Tom Taylor, mm. which was great as well. So I've actually got the first two issues of this lined up. Uh, Keith and I were chatting before we came on air to record that, you know, my reading is all over the place because we're, we're, we're slightly out of routine. So I just pick up what I want to read rather than from that week. So I'm terrible for that, but I will get caught you're, up you're, in this. You're a, you're a comic reading savage, sir. It's so much chaos, <laughs> I know, you know. The Joker has nothing on me. And uh, worth, uh, worth uh, mentioning the fantastic Alex Ross wraparound cover to this first issue as well. Very much so. I mean, Alex Ross, it, it breaks my heart that he... I think he left DC in some sort of bad way. I, I don't know the ins and outs of the story, but apparently relationships broke down or something. But he's churning out so many beautiful Marvel covers, everything from Black Panther to Captain America to Iron Man and, and all sorts. But yeah, that wraparound cover is, is something else. So yeah, so Black Panther number one from Keith. Uh, I'm going to be going back to the Distinguished Competition again uh, with Detective Comics 1045. And... It seems so weird chatting about uh, Detective Comics now because it's moved on in story arcs. At this point, it was still ingrained in Fear State, whereas it's doing its own weekly event mm. at the moment, which we'll, we'll come to in future episodes. Shadows of the Bat. Which yes, has quite. been pretty great so far. But we're here to talk about Fear State. Uh, <laughs> back through the mists of time. So, yeah, so Detective 1045, Mariko Tamaki continuing to do great work on Detective. And yes, art by Dan Mora. That sweet, sweet Dan Mora art, which he's no longer oh. going to be in the title anymore. But it's okay, because he's been replaced by Ivan Rice, and that is not a bad trade. <coughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, with Detective Comics, what I've enjoyed about the the, the Fear State tie-ins is it's mostly stayed in the early days of Fear State, as opposed to jumping right into the middle of the event. So I think this is a strength. You know, we're not trying to match up timelines or continuity. You've got the main Batman title to show the, the sort of end of the conflict. So this allows it to create its own sort of nasty, almost horror-based narrative, but also with some progression occurring in the relationship, especially between Batman and Mayor Nakano. You know, in the in the issue previous to this, Batman saved the mayor's life by shocking, you know, a parasite out of him using electricity. But you know, just because he saved his life, this doesn't mean they're friends. So uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of Mariko Tamaki. I think very very underrated writer for DC at the moment. You know, in general. She creates interesting situations and setups in every issue of Detective Comics so far. And again, I think her, her writing can also go under the radar because we focus so much on Dan Morris art because we're just big, big fans. I I think I said it I think I said it before a couple of weeks back that uh Marika Tomagi, I think, writes my favourite Batman at DC at the minute, apart possibly from of course the batman the animated series representation of the of the character which you know modern classic right there which we will also get to in a future episode i have no doubt but uh but yeah i mean i think it's a massive credit to her storytelling skill you know def detective feels much different than the main batman title and this is how it should be for me you know batman focuses on batman the bigger picture the you know it's it's like the saturday night movie if you if you know what i mean whereas detective should be a little more you know down and dirty and grimy and gritty i think and you know, with regards to, like, character stuff here, you know, Nakano, not a bad or evil character. You know, he, he may not agree with Batman's methods, 
but ultimately I think what's really interesting is they're, they're, they're two good men who are deeply opposed in terms of their methods. You know, it's, it's, it's the age-old thing. It's superhero vigilantes versus the law. But uh, that superhero vigilante has saved the mayor's life, so he can't be all bad in Nakano's eyes anyway. But, but yeah, no, this, this for me, it continued to be a surreal and horror-based battle. And again, I love that flexibility with the character. Tamaki and Moore are a brilliant team together. And, yeah, I've, I've mentioned it before. I was looking forward to the, the upcoming Shadows of the Bad event kicking off. And, again, we will talk about that more in a future episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah, I totally agree with you. Mernicano is a is an excellent character, an excellent character. Uh, really, really enjoying him and the fact that he's featuring so heavily in this. Um, I'm gonna dip back into the uh, the Marvel pool as you dip back into the DC pool uh, with another much anticipated number one from Marvel, which is Hulk number one from former Venom scribe Donny Cates, who joins former Invincible penciler Ryan Otley to take over duties on the Hulk. And they couldn't have much bigger shoes to fill following Al Ewing's Immortal Hulk, uh, which I know you can agree with now. 100%. Uh, so, <laughs> so rather than trying to do so, they've gone down uh, a completely different path and bought completely new shoes. Um, I mean, well, well, I guess in a way, because the series definitely has a focus on, on Bruce Banner, which is exactly where you'll remember Immortal Hulk left it. Uh, but this is definitely not that, and deliberately so. The core concept seems completely outlandish and ridiculous, with Banner having taken the step of converting the Hulk's body into a starship, with Banner's mind at the helm, and uh, and Doctor Strange professing that, contrary to popular belief, Hulk may have been protecting us from Banner the whole time. There's a complete, I say, a complete about Turner from a mortal Hulk. Otley's bringing his invincible sensibilities to the knockdown, drag-out fight between Starship Hulk and a fleet of remote Stark Hulkbusters. And meanwhile, Hulk's mind bridge is being piloted by Banner and something that definitely owes a lot to Star Trek The Next Generation. You know, with with uh, with Banner just sitting there, you know, talking about engines full ahead and all of that sort of stuff. It really is, it really is completely outlandish. The, the Hulk design is definitely reminiscent of Otley's designs for the, the tech zombie things in, um, in Invincible. Uh, do you remember early on the, the, the sort of tech zombies? I think mm-hmm. it was Sinclair. Was it Sinclair that, that designed yeah. them? There's a whole load going on here. It's all tinged with a bit of outlandish ridiculousness. And I'm very keen to, uh, to, to move on to issue two and three and see, see what it brings. But it's, as I say, it's, it's a complete turnaround from Immortal. Yeah, well, we'll get into this later on uh, on a future pod because I've up number two is one of my honourable mentions, and this Hulk run, I, I'm three issues in now. Of course, we're we're backtracing with our recording, but I still can't decide whether it's utter trash or utter brilliance. I, I'm still not decided, but it's keeping me reading and it's keeping me interested. Yeah. And it is, yeah. I mean, uh, you get the feeling with a violent Hulk character as well. This is the kind of title Otley was born to draw absolutely so mm-hmm. so yeah it's a it's a really really interesting title but i think i'm just still getting over the about turn from immortal hulk because it's just so yeah. different it's interesting as well because you know otley will be a wee bit more constrained by the fact it's a marvel title than he would have been on invincible where you know limbs were being pulled off and people superheroes were punching through people and you know all of that now seeing the hulk do that that would be something now that would be you know having a 
having a having a you know an adult title drawn by Otley could be a whole different experience. But yeah, I'm I'm absolutely with you. I'm just not sure if it if if it's ridiculous or divine yet. Yeah. I have no doubt that we will find out as the, the series goes on. So, I mean, speaking of Donny Cates, I mean, my next honourable mention is Thor number 19, which, of course, you know, Donny Cates took over Thor from Jason Aaron. Been writing it for 19 issues now, and Nick Klein is back on art for this one. So, you know, so far, Thor, it's followed this very similar path where for six issues, uh, these guys will do a really cool story arc. There'll then be maybe a couple of issues of not filler, but, you know, definitely a couple of issues of lighter fare, if you will. And then Nick Klein comes back and then bangs out another six issues and then so on and so forth. So with Thor 19, you know, the team are back together again. You know, you had the entertaining revelations arc and a really cool Throg one shot, which I really, really enjoyed. And with Thor 19, the stage is set for some more epic storytelling. So this story arc, it's called God of Hammers. And it begins with a bombshell that Mjolnir is missing. And not even the powerful eyes of Lady Sif is able to locate it. So so Thor is going to have to mend fences with his father. To call their relationship strained at this point is, you know, putting it lightly. And, you know, call upon his help. So, you know, the first part of this story arc, it could have been bogged down in endless exposition. You know, because Kate's, Kate's is really good for me at introducing new concepts, world building, and so on and so forth. But there is always that worry that it'll just be exposition, exposition. But, you know... It, it's done really, really well in this issue. You know, you've got a, a walk through the history of the Norse gods, but with Klein's art and Kate's efficient storytelling, the sequence actually feels big and epic and, you know, really sets the tone. You know, I, I think while I enjoy the issues in between arcs, one of the reasons I'm on this series is Nick Klein's art. I love Nick Klein's art. It's very rock and roll in its style. It's, it's impressive action, expressive characters. And what was cool about Thor 19, he actually embraces his inner Jack Kirby a little. You know, with the flashback sequences, especially echoing the work of, you know, the king. So, yeah, I mean, with Thor 19, what's great is it serves as a jumping on point for new readers. You know, it's the start of a new story arc. But to be honest, if this is your first issue, you'll read this and you'll waste no time in going back to the start, be it through trades or singles and enjoying the run so far. I mean, I still haven't fully caught up in the, the complete Jason Aaron run, which, you know, of course, is probably in your top five comic runs of all time. You always speak very highly of it. But I'm I'm really digging what Donny Cates has done so far with this one. Yeah, no, uh, I'm I'm loving it. It's uh, it is a more than adequate follow up to uh, Jason Aaron's epic uh, for sure. Um, but that's one I'd love you to get your teeth into as well. There may be an omnibus coming out this year. Yes, gotcha. even though I own the first twenty five issues and could borrow the rest of you, but <laughs> that's besides the side. <laughs> so Thor number nineteen for my latest honorable mention and. Here we go. One of us was always going to pick the next one. Yeah, buddy. Delving into the uh, the indie pool now, and uh, surprising no one because it has its own lean in our pool, is the inclusion of That Texas Blood number 12. Um, this is an issue that is... Con- this is a, a, an issue of a book that is consistently the best book on the shelves, and this particular issue brings to a stop the most recent art of the book which is Eversol 1981 and I say stop rather than conclusion or finish or end because it's not that it's not neat it's not tidy it's more like you know a jagged wound that has healed and left a nasty scar Uh, it didn't kill you but at least it's mark on you you know and that is definitely the case for Joe Bob as he continues to wrestle with the demons of his past whilst recounting the terrifying tale of a missing girl, a dead boy, 
a left of centre PI and the culmination of a cult's plans. And real life doesn't really give closure or tie things up neatly, and neither does this tale. The tension lingers in Chris Condon's writing with Jacob Phillips' art reinforcing that tension through all the use of shadows and darkness. It's a darkness that isn't finished with Joe Bob or with Ambrose County, I don't think. And I'm hoping that now he's been introduced, Harlan Eversall might be on hand 40 years later to back Joe Bob up if he needs it. And I know we'll be there to back him up. Oh, we'll 100% be there as long as this title continues to run. Because, yeah, it's it's hard not to just pick it as pick of the week every time. We say it every time when we put it in honourable mentions. But it's just worth repeating again and again how good this title is. I mean, I have a, a regular customer, Michael, and he had collected all of that Texas blood. But he came a little late to it. He never got an issue one. So he couldn't start it properly, even though, in a weird way, issue one was kind of a one-shot. You know, you might remember it was that casserole dish issue. And I said to him, you probably could read it, but look, just hold off and I'll get you a copy. And I managed to find him a number one and I said, look, put that Texas blood top of your pile. And he was saying, like, oh, I've got, I have a lot of stuff to read. You know, I'll get to it at some point. I value your opinion. I'll, I'll get to it at some point. He came in last Saturday. I was upstairs and I didn't have my headphones in for a change. And he was chatting to Vicky and he was like, oh, tell Alan he was right, by the way. That Texas blood's bloody burning, so it is. <laughs> so I'm glad, yes. that, I'm glad that it's not yeah. just me and you that think this. <laughs> yeah, he was on the previous Saturday whenever I was looking after the store and uh, we were we had a very similar conversation, but it was before he had read that <laughs> Texas blood. So I was like, yeah, man, this is this is the best, the best comic book on the stands at the moment. Yeah, Brilliant. so uh, that Texas Blood number 12, of course, brings an end to the second full story arc, as Keith said, and the, the trade paperback is on its way as well. So definitely keep an eye out for that. Uh, next up, I've got another indie one, which uh, closed out this week as well. This was from AWA Studios. This was a series called Fight Girls. And so this was number five. It was written and drawn by Frank Chu. And, you know, this is this is just pulp storytelling at its best for me. This is essentially a, a competition set up between 12 women in the galaxy. Whoever wins the competition is basically crowned queen. So, uh, so yeah, we come to the last issue as our queen is crowned and she's primed to meet what will become her husband. You know, we've never been introduced to who runs the galaxy or rules the galaxy at this point. But uh, she has won the competition. Together they will rule the galaxy, only he is very much not what we expected and neither is our winner. As it turns out, you know, his hidden agendas and unexpected partnerships are revealed. So, you know, Frank Cho's an artist I've always loved his style. You know, this has consistently been one of the most beautiful titles on the rack. You know, it's the epitome of I Know What You Like, Keith. It's clean lines, it's detailed characters, it's well-realized worlds. Uh, but it's simultaneously been one of the most entertaining as well. You know, it's it's a phrase I like to use sometimes for, for lighter comics. You know, it's as deep as a puddle. You know, and it'll not revolution the comic world in any meaningful way, but it is damn entertaining, a heck of a lot of fun. And again, it'll be hitting trade for AWA Studios very, very soon, and it'll have that £9 price point again. So, yeah, very, very highly recommended. And uh, that was Fight Girls number five. I think I'll be picking up that trade. Yeah, it is a beauty. It is a beauty. So now we move from, uh, from Fight Girls number five to Keith's monthly attempt to get me to read a certain book. <laughs> uh, Iron Man 14 by Christopher Cantwell uh, this book is brilliant again the best book that Marvel is putting out on the week it's released um, uh, you know I'm really pleased that over that after over a year it's not showing any signs of taking the foot off the accelerator this issue has some of the best art in the series so far which is saying something and it would be a great, great 
issue to pick up in order to see what an amazing series that this Ron and Iron Man has has become. In <clears throat> <laughs> um, this issue, Iron Man has been transformed into Iron God, having allowed Korvac into the transmute, having he's followed Korvac into the transmutation chamber aboard Galactus's worship, the tattoo, and he now has more power at his disposal than ever before. The question being, has he learned wisdom, humility, humanity enough from what he's been through to for Tony Stark to use that that power properly? And more than just that, the power cosmic is altering every atom. He foresees his past and his future all at once uh, in, a, in a moment of reminiscence. And he has the ability to be, to be everything, to see anything, sort of just that level of godlike, beyonder-like power. But it wasn't just him who reached this level of a god because Korvac has two. And, you know, this is, uh, I think we have to be coming to the you know, to the to the crux point here somewhere. You know, Cantwell has navigated this consistent fourteen issues issues like an absolute professional. He's consistently, despite the escalation and accelerated power creep, not for a moment lost touch with what he's aiming at. And you know, it seems to you know, it seems to just be be, be continuing. It's it's maybe far from over. Despite all the power, the issue is definitely a slow burner. It's an introspective one. It explores Tony's thoughts uh, in light of his recent experiences, through his huge intellect and his cutting self awareness. Unlimited power, but he's still limited by his choices, by himself, by his relationships, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. There may not be. I would say a more layered or thought-provoking superhero comic coming out just now. Well, I mean, if it was as good as you said it was, it'd be your pick of the week. I'm just saying, but you know, it's your Marvel pick of the week. <laughs> I say, uh, I say, there may not be a more layered and thought-provoking superhero comic coming out right now. Keep those, my pick of the week may not be a superhero comic. Keep those words in mind, dear listeners. Layered and thought-provoking. Yeah, I know I will relent at some point, but I'm just enjoying torturing you too much by not actually reading this. <laughs> it's just too much it's fun. It's not my loss, sir. It's your loss. <laughs> it's not like I don't have plenty to read anyway. It's all good. But I have no yeah, doubt no, at absolutely. some point I will go. I remember reading the first issue and liking it, but just, again, whatever reason, I just never kept up with it. But I promise I'll get back to it at some point. You know, I, I think we should just put out a put out a bet at what issue number I will relent, you know. <laughs> Maybe if it was a pick of the week, I'd relent. Who knows? But anyway, we'll uh, we'll move from Iron Man 14 and back again to the Distinguished Competition for the next one. And uh, this was one that it was very close to my pick of the week, I have to say. And in a weird way, this is a title that shouldn't be layered or thought-provoking because it just should just be a straight-up horror silly book. But it actually is layered and thought-provoking. This is uh, DC versus Vampires number two. So uh, Tinian and, and Rosenberg again on this. And then Otto Schmidt is the artist. And the thing with DC versus Vampires is it gets compared to Deceased all the time. And the comparisons to Deceased are easy to make, but ultimately very, very lazy. You know, Deceased was always very fast-paced because the zombies it depicted were fast-spreading. They instantly attack any live person they see. But what's cool in this is vampires in this universe have existed for a long time. They are methodical and patient in their approach. And they can not only, you know, outfight the human race when it comes to it, but they can also outthink them. You know, they have their full mental capacity in everything they're planning to do, whereas in Deceased, maybe not so much. They were just more bloodthirsty. But, you know, the other thing is the signs that someone is a vampire. They're not there in the same way as bloodthirsty zombies. So 
that builds only one thing paranoia you know who can we trust in this title you know we have already had hal jordan outed as a vampire to the readers but he's managed to kill those that knew his secret both andrew bennett and zan of the wonder twins however unbeknownst to hal andrew managed to get a message out and who would you get a message out to if you could message one person in the dc universe who would you message keith I could message one person in the DC universe. If you knew that a horde of vampires were taking over the world, and you thought, "Who? Well, who is the best tactician in and with the most resources in the DC universe? Who should I message?" Oh no! I mean, I think I think <laughs> it's you trying to figure to out another. There we go. There we go. <laughs> so yeah, so essentially, you know, Hal didn't know it, but Andrew Bennett managed to get a message out to Batman before he died, and. Now Batman's on the case, but he's simultaneously checking none of his family members have been infected. You know, you've got some great pages of Batman stuff here as he finds as he finds a sneaky way to test all the close family, you know, all of the Robins, Nightwing, Alfred, you know, he, <laughs> he even utilizes holy water instead of tea as backup when they're all just chilling out in the back cave, you know, unbeknownst to everyone, of course. Uh, but yeah, there's also another titan of DC mythology that falls in this issue, you know, underlining once again what a what a huge threat these vampires are and and setting the stage for an excellent 12 issue maxi series you know this is just what you were saying about iron man you know this is up there with dc's best titles at the moment because it actually is thought-provoking there's there's layers here there's different character motivations and you know and, and i essentially came to it thinking oh this will be a fun little sort of horror take on the dc universe but there's more to it than that and very very enjoyable yeah i'm enjoying it too i have to say it's uh it's it's good fun good fun so uh yeah that is dc versus vampires 2 and why don't you give us one more honorable mention then for this week uh swinging back towards india again uh for house of slaughter number two and i have a question is this a mini series as far as i'm aware this is going to be a series that is released in between story arcs of something is killing the children so house of slaughter is going right. to run to six issues and then when it ends something is killing the children comes back with issue 21 and then I think it'll be twenty-one to twenty-five, and then in between that. So I think that's what they're what they're going for. Okay, understood. Okay, that's good news. That's good news. Um, so the first issue of, uh, as you as you mentioned, this is a spin-off series from something is killing the children. Was intriguing. Uh, do did exactly what we hoped. You know, expanding the world and the myth of the series, and beginning to answer some of the questions that have occurred to us, and bringing new layers. Second issue is even better than that, though. Um, Tate Bromble is the writer here, putting flesh on the skeleton constructed by James Tinney IV uh, and does a great job of adding flesh to the world and complexity to the characters, most notably the characters of Aaron, who we're already familiar with, and Jace, uh, who has been introduced in this story. And Jace seems to be a popular popular naming for characters uh, these, these days, both Jace here and <laughs> Jace and I am Batman. The story structure almost comes across as a stream of Aaron's consciousness, tying the past and the present together. And we see Aaron haunting Jace in, in the present and the development of the relationship in the past. And it's, you know, highlighting a joining ceremony that allows Jace to leave his current house and join the House of Slaughter. The story is very character driven. And so a lot of Christian's art is, is close in and focused and really appropriate for the story. Um, I think overall this is a great addition to the overall something is killing the children mythos while also being a fairly great standalone story concerning Aaron and, and Jace and that, that structure you've explained to me sort of I guess sheds a lot of light 
you know, if this six issues follows that, will the next six issues maybe follow another part of Aaron's life? Mm-hmm. Or will it shift, shift to a different character entirely? Or, But, it, you know, overall, we're discovering a wee bit more about the, the houses and the, the Order of St. George and the, and the people populated. Um, very, very good stuff. Yeah, I know that Tinian has a lot of plans for the Something is Killing the Children universe. He, he wants to be involved in, in spin-offs and miniseries and stuff like that. And I think this is a really cool way to do it. You know, you can outsource the writing to someone else, but maybe, you know, contribute some sort of story beats and story developments. But I do like the idea, actually, of, you know, this being all about Jace, but then maybe the next one is all about someone else because the title is called House of Slaughter. You can just pull out another character from the House of Slaughter and, you know, layer them and give them background and stuff like that. So, but I do like the idea of there always being a new something is killing the children issue, if that makes sense, you know, building the mythology, even if it's not just the main characters. So... Yeah, very much enjoying this well. And, and yeah, Chris uh, Sheehan's art's great. Yeah, I'm really interested in uh, in finding out about the old dragon, who the hell he is and what his story is. That's that's what's got me. <laughs> <laughs> very much so, very much so. But yeah, great title and uh, uh, a great issue to finish off our honourable mentions from the 24th of November. So we're going to, as ever, go on then to our pick of the week. And although both of our picks of the week are indie, I don't think we have ever had two picks that could be any further apart in execution story this is going to be interesting this is going to be such an opposition it's unreal so it is so uh as i say they're both indie titles uh one's from image and one's from uh source point uh press so for me mine is the source point press one so mine is good boy number one so this is written by Gareth Gunn. I mean, just look at that name. You can get a sense of what this title is going to be like. <laughs> Gareth Gunn and Christina Blanche, and art is by Kit Wallace. So when I saw Good Boy in the previews books, I was instantly sold. So Good Boy is set in a world where animals and humans coexist. And animals can talk, and they wear clothes, and they're a lot like their, their human masters, or their former human masters, I should say. So straight away, I was getting vibes of one of my favorite ever series, a series called Black Sad. Uh, however, where Black Sad is a slow-burning detective noir, Good Boy is the equivalent of a fast-paced John Wick movie, and that comparison is not there by accident. So to pitch Good Boy in its simplest terms, imagine John Wick, but instead of the dog being killed and John Wick, John Wick seeks out revenge, Imagine it's John Wick that is killed and the dog vows revenge. You know, I, I told you I was quickly sold in this book. <laughs> but what I would say is to simply label it a John Wick ripoff is doing the book an injustice. You know, there's a fully built and realized world here and it's it's almost akin to a darker version of something like Fables. You know, we don't question why there's a highly skilled upright walking dog in cool clothes dispensing old-fashioned violence. It's just acceptable in this world, you know. there There isn't the door rising you know it's it's not out of the need for revenge but you know he has history in this world he has a reputation that goes with it you know there's conversations with cops where they feel like they've known each other for years you know in the space of one issue this feels very much like a lived-in world it's not just a a silly little thing that is you know oh we're going to do this as you know the the alternate john wick so to speak but the other thing is as well the art is another big draw for this you know the action in this is phenomenal it's fast-paced it's brutal it's hard-hitting it's you know, it's and it's a direct result of the whole creative team working together. So first of all, you've got great character design with every character feeling individual and unique. The line work is great. The coloring and lettering work together in perfect tandem. It's 
it's easy to say that the fight choreography reminds you of a movie, but it's very true. You know, the action scenes are brilliantly put together, whether it's the angles chosen, the close-ups, the wide shots, it all feels really, really cinematic. And it's a title that actually started out as a Kickstarter, but it's an immensely polished first issue released through SourcePoint. It's a title that's, you know, instantly satisfying, so much fun. And despite the fact that it actually sounds maybe a little cliched or, or by the numbers, I have no doubt that there will be a few surprises along the way. So, yeah, just a brilliant, brilliant first issue and uh, a final special shout out as well to the Francesco Francavia variant cover. It is a thing of beauty. It is a movie poster just waiting to happen. So, yeah, yeah. good boy number one. Again, brilliant title. And it's only the kind of title you could have in the world of comics, I think. I don't think this would work in another medium. So, uh, yeah, good boy number one. So we go from my late Saturday night movie, <laughs> you know, how stoned were the people writing this sort of uh, concept sort of title to your pick of the week, which is? Which is uh, Jonathan Hickman and Mike Huddleston's conclusion to Decorum with Decorum number eight. And uh, so after an eight-month gap, we come to the end of one of the most ambitious series I've ever read. And with that description, you know it's just come from the pen of Hickman. Uh, as a result of that eight-month gap, I really wish it had time to read the whole thing uh, through to the, you know, before the conclusion. But sadly, neither, you know, my pull list nor the current comic collection story situation would, would allow for that. But I sincerely look forward to doing so in the future. And I think the hardcover of this series is going to be unmissable. And it's going to be unmissable not just because of the fantastic story, but because of Mike Huddleston's fantastic creative art. Uh, he's not limited to a style, nor apparently even to a medium. And I think it's fair to say there's no comic that has been on the stands in the, the recent past that has a wider or more innovative range of artwork and styles than this. Uh, even if you you weren't a fan of the the the, the Hickman writing, um, and though I really enjoyed the artwork throughout the entire series, I think this issue tops the lot. If you're not familiar with Mike Huddleston's art, Google is your friend. Every issue of this book has been oversized and has challenged the reader, containing a great amount of brilliantly designed Hickman not quite back matter that uh, has lent depth to the universe being created. This was far future sci-fi and epic, original and fresh, not tied or borrowing from any other IP. It was rogues and secret societies, interesting characters, the threat of machine takeover, uh, the likes of which you see in, in, uh, in, in uh, classic sci-fi stories like Dune and the coming of celestial messiahs. And it is dense, I think more dense than, again, anything that's that's been on the, the shelves in the recent past. While... An already complex series was further hampered by the delay. This final issue delivers a climatic conclusion that will have us going back to reread the whole series, you know, at earliest conveniences, me anyway, as uh, well as having me look forward to what's coming next as perfectly teased at the end as the, uh, is the, the nicely placed to be continued. The hardcover is a late January release, and depending on what's uh, what's in it relative to the singles, I might just pick it up too. Especially if you haven't read this or you jumped off, you should think about doing so. Uh, what did you reckon? Did you did you read it? I still haven't read it. I have all eight issues sitting there ready to go. Um, yeah, I mean, with Decorum, I remember we chatted about it, you know, geez, years ago at this point. Um, <laughs> we chatted about it after the first couple of issues, and you know Hickman to me is is one of those writers he's a bit like Morrison 
uh, in that sometimes you just almost feel like you're not quite intelligent enough to understand what they're what they're actually presenting to you. You know, he's working on a higher plane of intelligence or something. So I sort of thought with decorum, I, I didn't want to do the monthly read of it. I thought I'll collect it all together and I'll sit down and I'll, I'll give it the time and attention it deserves and read it one sitting. But yeah, just it obviously took a long time to come out. And then I, I do have it sitting there though to read. So does yeah, it make more I, I sense think, as you I go think... on? Yes, I think you made the right choice. Uh, obviously, you you couldn't foresee that eight months delay, um, but uh, I think you made the right choice in in in, in saving it all up. Uh, yeah, it it absolutely does. I think I think that that idea that that Hickman is writing at a different level. Um, I think it's I think it's a different thing from Morrison. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of Morrison's is is symbolic and you know related to his magic and all this weird sort of insane stuff but i do think hickman's just a very intelligent uh creator and you see that in east of west you know and a variety of other of other things but i think the sad thing about modern society is that whenever whenever readers are challenged with something rather than go okay i'll i'll get the grips with this it's easier to say this makes no sense mm-hmm. and i feel stupid you know <laughs> what i mean and it's, that's not that's not the case you know uh yeah, I think it's it's definitely worth it's definitely worth tangling with on this one, and if not, you just get to look at that fantastic art all the way through it. Yeah, I remember even going back as far as issue one, the the issues seemed to be divided almost into two stories, didn't they? And the even the artwork was different for the sort of two stories. You had sort of like a creationist storyline, didn't you? And then you had the assassin storylines. That am I remembering uh, correctly? They all come together. There's celestial messiah storyline. There's the uh, the assassin storyline with the you know the the decorum and the various characters. But even within those storylines, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and the 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 League of Assassins and whatnot. Even within those storylines, the art changes based on the situation or whether it, the the point of view or uh, what has happened. So it's it really just is incredible. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, as I say, I have the whole uh, series sitting there. I get the feeling I should stick on something like the tree of life uh, score musical score to sit and uh, <laughs> read it alongside it you know operating on that terence malick level as well so but yeah no i remember loving That's, the uh, art especially wouldn't be a bad idea wouldn't be a bad idea oh uh, let's see i know how to party kids that's my saturday night right there so uh <laughs> So yeah, so that is Keith's pick of the week then for the uh, last week in November, which was the 24th. So that catches us up on our reviews to the end of November, just uh, all of December to go. But we are going to take a break. You can flick forward to the next podcast and you will then hear us talk about the titles released on the 1st of December. So uh, as ever, any titles appeal to you that, you know, obviously we're coming to it late here. Just get in touch with us and we'll either source the single issues for you or, of course, we'll get you on to the likes of those hardcovers Keith was uh, was so uh, nicely talking about. So, cheers for that. That is the end of November. We'll see you back for December soon. So, I've been Alan Taylor and this has been Keith Miller. You can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes and on Twitter where Alan is at Coffee and Heroes 1 and I'm a Scannison 00. Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop, coffee shop and community hub in Northern Ireland based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast. You can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. The Coffee and Heroes podcast is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and through all good podcast platforms. 
please like and subscribe and leave a review so more people can find us. And until next time, happy reading and hope to see you in store.